We are very excited to announce we're hosting our first Meetup in the Left Field 2022 on October 21st in Columbus, Ohio. We have Zoomed together for two years, and it is beyond time to meet face-to-face. The primary purpose of this meeting will be to meet your fellow left fielders, as well as to meet and interact with some of our community's favorite sponsors and professionals. The plan is to host a special infielder event Thursday night, October 20th, which will include appetizers, drinks, and the opportunity to connect with your Zoom friends. That will be followed by a full day of networking and meetings on Friday, October 21st. The cost to attend the event is $250. Members of the infield community will get a $100 discount and a free month of membership if they sign up before September 15th. We hope to see you soon in the left field. Hello, left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. You can depreciate the building as if it were a piece of equipment and at the same schedule or the same rate. So you can use 100% bonus depreciation on your brand new equipment. You can also use 100% bonus depreciation on the building. So very tax friendly, huge tax impact aggressive cash flow, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Hey, left fielders. This is Julian McClurkin from Tribe Vest. I recently had the pleasure of sitting down with Jim Pfeiffer for a masterclass. I learned so much from passive investing to real estate syndications to how you can diversify your portfolio with a tribe. I also learned how this form of passive investing was only available to the wealthy. Until recently, if I learned a lot, you will too. Go to leftfieldinvestors.com and check out the masterclass button at the top or look up Tribe Vest on YouTube. I'll see you there. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast powered by Tribe Vest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the Left Field community. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, and you're listening to Passive Investing from Left Field Podcast. I'm really excited today to have Dave Zook with us. He is the real asset investor, and he got started in real estate to fix his tax problem. And now he's one of the top five ATM operators. He's also involved in self-storage, car washes, and debt validation. He is a preferred partner of Left Field Investors. And most exciting, he is the guest on the very first episode of Passive Investing from Left Field. And here we are over 80 episodes later. So Dave, thank you and welcome again to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Hey, thanks for having me back. That was a while back and it's exciting. So you're now, what, 80 some podcasts then. It's a pleasure to be back. Yeah, I can't believe we've done that many podcasts and you kicked it off and we're appreciative of that. And normally how we start the show is you go through your journey, which I would like you to do, but we'll kind of do it in an abbreviated version because if uh, listeners want to get the full backstory, they can go back to episode one of the podcast and listen to that. But can you kind of tell us, you got involved in real estate for a tax problem. Can you kind of go through that story? And then we'll get into some other questions. 
Yeah, so I'll, I'll keep it brief. I watched my dad. My dad is a very successful businessman. I watched him invest his money into real estate. He bought single-family homes and farms and land. He self-managed some of the single-family homes. I just quickly realized it's not what I want to do when I grow up. And so I started investing in business and started some businesses. Some of those businesses started doing really well. And I ended up one year, more than a decade ago, I ended up having a tax bill of half a million dollars a year. And I was having all kinds of fun and I was telling my life's work, but it just, when I had to give half my money back to the government, it just wasn't so much fun anymore. And I started, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I got around the Rich Dad team. I got around the real estate guys. I got on webinars and went to live events and started getting around the right people and quickly started to realize that real estate can be a tax protection vehicle. Above and beyond everything else, cash flow and equity growth and all that long-term wealth building strategies, for me, I was most interested in it because of the tax protection piece. And so I started buying multifamily, quickly started recognizing words like cost segregation studies and bonus depreciation and all that. And in one year, it took my tax bill from a half a million dollars down to zero and have been really close to zero ever since while multiplying my income by several factors. So it's uh, conventional wisdom will tell you that if you make a lot of money, you got to pay a lot of tax. But you and I and many of your listeners are probably not conventional. So I'm totally comfortable sharing that message with your folks. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great story and a great way of looking at it. Because I think a lot of people that make a lot of money, they just complain and wish they had a strategy and they don't know that there's a way to mitigate your taxes or reduce your taxes down to zero. So how did you find out that this was a possibility and you said you got around the right people. How did you find those people and even know where to go to even start this journey? So I started reading. I started reading a lot. Read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And some of the couple of things that drove me crazy, one of them was I remember hearing Robert Kiyosaki talk about how you can make millions of dollars a year and pay no tax legally. So I just decided, well, I need to get around this guy. I figured the shortest way for me to find out is to hunt him down and I remember I was listening to any kind of real estate podcast I get my hands on and ran across the real estate guys. And I remember hearing them talk about their summit at sea and their investor summit at sea. And, and I was running several businesses at the time. I was like, there's just no way I can get away for a week and hang out with a bunch of investors. But then they came out and said, Robert Kiyosaki is going to be on board the boat. His whole team, his tax guy, his real estate guy, his whole team is going to be on the boat. And I was like, you know what? I don't care. I just got to do it. I'm going and we'll survive back home. We'll figure it out. So I made my decision and went to the Real Estate Guys Summit at Sea, got to talk to Tom Wheelwright, Robert's CPA, and started doing business with his firm. I'm still with ProVision to this day and just love working with highly qualified tax professionals and people that really know what they're doing in the space and being able to go somewhere and get answers to real life problems. Yeah, that's great because you can talk to different accountants, you're going to get different answers. But what I like about you took action, right? And that's what we need to do. You took action to get on the boat because you thought maybe you'd get to meet Kiyosaki and some of his uh, people and that worked and now look where you are. So that, that just shows you that you got to take steps to create your own future. So I love hearing that. So I want to talk about some asset classes that you're into. But before that, I want to go a little bit broader to start. Last time we talked um, on the podcast, you said you're often invested in six to eight asset classes, but you only syndicate maybe two or three at a time because you're researching them and you're investing on your own dollar to see if you're, it's something you want to share with everybody else. 
So how do you research and decide and find these new asset classes? So oftentimes they find me. I am not out looking for new asset classes. Even today, I'm not out looking for new asset classes. I stumbled into the car wash space in the last two years because a couple of young guys wanted me to look over their shoulder and coach them up on the car wash business. And then I had several more conversations how when you notice a certain kind of car on the road, then all of a sudden, you know, that's all you see is these kind of cars everywhere. Well, it was like that with Tommy's Express Car Wash. I got asked to kind of look at the business model. And of course, I liked it. And I was like, yeah, man, the numbers look great. And the cash flow looked awesome. And the EBITDA and all, I mean, it looked great. But I shelved it because I didn't need anything else on my plate. Long story short, I talked to several other guys, several people that were in my investors of mine. And one of them being a car wash guy. And he's a Tommy's guy. That's who he is. He has Tommy's Express Car Wash. I didn't know that. I knew he was a car wash guy. I didn't know he was Tommy's Express car wash guy. So he spent the next half hour telling me how Tommy's was the best thing on planet Earth. And a couple of weeks later, another investor of mine asked me the same thing. He's like, hey, my son-in-law and his friend, they're looking to start this business. Can you look over their shoulder and kind of coach him up on it a little bit and take a look at it? So I asked him, sure, what business is it? Well, Tommy's Express car wash. So long story short, we had this conversation with these guys. They were all keyed up to do... They had their private equity partners all lined up. I mean, it was sharp money. So after having several conversations with them, we talked to them about how about if you let us help you structure your deals, be your funding partners, bring our investors alongside of us, build a bunch of car wash. And so oftentimes that's what happens is I'm not out looking for deals, but if I see somebody doing really good at a certain asset class, I'll just give you an example, self-storage, same deal. I mean, I kept hearing this name. I mean, you know, this is as good as anybody. This investment community is pretty small. And so you start running into the same people and you start hearing stuff. And of course, when you hear good stuff about a certain organization for long enough, you start paying attention. And that's what happened in the self-storage space. These guys were masters at their space. And I figured out a way how to come in alongside of them and partner with them. And so... Oftentimes it happens like that. I'm not out looking for new asset classes, but I stumble into them and we create something. Okay, so I am going to ask some questions about car washes for sure. And I'd like to touch on self-storage. But before we do that, are there any other new asset classes that may be coming that you're looking at? And last time we also talked about carbon offsets and talked about how that might be a year or two or three in the future. So how is that coming? And is there anything else new that you're kind of looking at? Well, I'll answer your first question first. We are getting ready to launch a BTM fund, Bitcoin Teller Machine. That's something that our management partner, they've been in this space for the last almost two years. And at this point, they have around 1,800 BTMs on the street. So pretty, really good track record and history with BTMs. They're one of the largest players in the space now. So we are looking to launch a fund here in the next couple of weeks. But certainly, if you're in our database, you'll be seeing that here very shortly. Interesting. So I saw one of those in the grocery store. I have no clue why you would need that. You know, I invest in Bitcoin a little bit, but I just go to one of the websites and buy it. What do I need a machine for? Yeah. And most people do not. Same as most people don't need an ATM machine. You and I and probably everybody that's listened to this uh, has long since converted to plastic. So we don't need cash. We don't need ATM machines. But there's a whole subset of the population that's not like us. Unbanked, underbanked, lower income, EBT card carriers, or maybe they want to reduce holding Bitcoin. They want on a public exchange. 
there's a whole host of reasons, but we're not catering to the 70% of the population. We're catering to a smaller subset of the population, and we're finding where those people are. And it's the same thing we do with ATMs. We find where the people are that use ATMs, and we put our ATMs there. One of the things that's exciting for us is we already have the relationships established. We already have the real estate tied up. We already have everything in place with our management teams. Now we just got to take up another two foot by two foot space and set a BTM right alongside of our ATMs. And it, and it creates a real scalable, efficient model and a way to go to market that most people can't do. That's interesting. And you know, I can't stop myself from chasing new asset classes. So I'll definitely check that when it comes out. What about carbon offsets? Is there any updates on that? Yeah, so we've been very active and we have sort of our three core asset classes and that's self-storage, ATMs and car washes. And then there's some stuff that we get into outside of those kind of three core asset classes. Um, the carbon offset, that is something that I've been investing in personally, me and a couple of friends of mine. We bought 11,000 acres of timber up in uh, north of Pittsburgh and there's potential there. We're trying to see how we can best monetize that timber, that real estate. Is it timber has been just on a tear over the last couple of years? And so does it make more sense to harvest the timber, select cut the timber, and then come around the backside and then sell carbon credits? So we're looking at all those things right now. We recently, over the last year, year and a half, have been much more active on the timber side than we have on the carbon side. But we have the real estate, we have the timber, and we're watching that space really closely. And we've had several conversations with folks who would want to buy our carbon. Interesting. Okay. So now I want to dig in to car washes because this fascinates me. It's a new asset class, at least for me. I haven't seen that as a syndication around. And now there's a couple of people doing it in different ways. So why car washes? Why are you focusing on that asset class now? I mean, several reasons. One is a well-run car wash. I mean, they cash flow like crazy. The other thing is it fits our model of depreciation. One of the things that most people don't know, and you may not know, we'll find out here in a bit, but there's something unique about car washes and gas stations. Do you have any idea what that is? Well, I'm going to cheat because I did listen on your podcast with MC Lobster. So yes, there I do know the tax benefits, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what happens is the building, you can depreciate the building as if it were a piece of equipment and at the same schedule or the same rate. So you can use 100% bonus depreciation on your brand new equipment. You can also use 100% bonus depreciation on the building. So very tax friendly, huge tax impact aggressive cash flows, and it does make a lot of sense. I mean, banks love to loan money against real estate. They also love to loan money against very well-run cash-flowing businesses. Here you get both. So you've got a good, friendly lending environment, which allows you to scale. You've got aggressive cash flow and a well-run car wash, and you've got very aggressive tax impact. One of the other things, too, and this is especially important over the last two or three years, and that is anybody that's running a business and has 10, 15, 20, 50, 100 employees knows how hard it is to get quality people to work for you. You can run a very high volume car wash with two or three people. It's touchless. You 
come in. You know, Tommy's is known for its two to three minute car wash, and you get a really good car wash in two to three minutes. And you get on the belt, you cruise through the belt, you come out the other end, you're pretty much dry, and you get a really good quality wash. And there's two or three people on site, and you can run hundreds of cars through there on a daily basis. So are you doing buying existing operations and rebranding them and redoing them, or are you building them ground up? Yes. Both. Okay, so what's the value yeah. add on the new ones, and what's the deal with the ground up? How long does it take, and, and how does that all work? Yeah, so I'll give you an example. So most of what we're doing, and when we set out, we were going to do all brand new development. Well, we started down that path, and then an opportunity popped up. Opportunity popped up to buy a fully operational, very well-run Tommy's Express car wash in San Antonio. So we bought the car wash. And at the time, it was the subscription model. There was, I'm not supposed to talk numbers here to protect ourselves and Tommy's, but let's just say in 12 weeks, we increased the subscription model between 30 and 40%. When you understand Wall Street and private equity and you understand the valuations and the subscription model, not only did that just increase our cash flow like crazy, but it increased the value of the business by $6 million. And so being able to create that kind of value by business operations and really just having a really good team on the ground and making that business perform better. I mean, it, you don't get that opportunity in just any industry. And what's the subscription model? I mean, I know that you can pay like a monthly fee and you get unlimited car washes. I hadn't heard of that until I started looking into this asset class. I didn't see that at the car wash I go to. So is that a new development? And obviously, the great thing is you have predictable cash flow. But does it matter how many times people wash their cars? I mean, they're not driving through there every day, right? Or are they? Right. So typically, on a monthly membership, and we've got the technology, we know exactly what our members are doing. But typically, you have somebody with a monthly membership, you'll have people washing their cars on average 4.2 times per month. And that wash costs us, depending on the volume for that location, somewhere around a dollar, a dollar twenty-five to wash that car. So there you have it, four point two times, roughly five bucks in cost, and that membership costs around thirty bucks. So you do that five, six, seven thousand times over, and you can kind of start to get the feeling of what the numbers look like. But yeah, that I mean you're right. Being able to create a consistent cash flow and private equity in Wall Street loves that. Just look no further than Netflix. Look no further than <laughs> Netflix. You know, it doesn't matter that they lost a half a billion dollars in Q1. What matters is that their subscriber base went from whatever, a half a million to 650,000. And the stock price goes up. Doesn't matter that they lost all kinds of money, but their subscription base went up which means that they're going to be profitable at some point. And that's how they look at it. Now, obviously, when you can have both, when you can get the subscription model, when you can really boost your subscriptions and be profitable, and especially, I mean, there's no reason, like everything about the business model tells you that when you have monthly paying subscribers, you're going to make more money. So we can have both. That's a win for everybody. And I'll just say this. There was just last week, last weekend, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that talked all about that and the appetite for institutions and the appetite for private equity firms. And I mean, they're clamoring over themselves, paying crazy multiples for stabilized portfolios of car washes to scale. So I guess that's the exit then, right? Is that your plan? And if however X many years you sell it to larger companies? 
yeah. REITs or something? We're on pace to build 60 in four years. We would expect to be bought out at some crazy multiple in three to five years. You mentioned that you increased the subscriptions on a existing location. So how do you do that? If you're buying an existing one or if it's a new one, what are the steps you take to increase the subscription? Because that's the value add. or That's how you increase the NOI, right? Is to get more people sure. to sign up. Yeah. So several things, but two things primarily. One, tweak the marketing plan, really get aggressive on the marketing plan without spending just a whole ton of money. But getting aggressive with the and tweaking the marketing plan, getting people in the door, we found that if you can get people through the tunnel, you have about a 54% chance of signing those people up for a monthly membership. The other thing is incentivizing the team on the ground when they sign up a monthly member. So having everybody aligned when the customer signs up a monthly membership, they win. The owners win. Let's make it so that the team on the ground wins and gets a little piece of the action too. So that's what we did. And that's just really worked well for us. Talk about the structure because the structure of this deal is unique. I think it's debt, right? For the passive investor investing in your deal, it's a, a debt deal, not equity, but you also get bonus depreciation, which I haven't seen, I don't think on a debt deal. Can you talk a little bit about the structure, including the multiple, the 1.75 and how that all works together? Yeah, so we actually started out as a debt fund, but we switched up the model and we went back and made it retroactive. We actually do have it set up as an equity fund, not a debt fund. But you're right, we started out as a debt fund. But what we did is we put it together very similar to our ATM fund, where in seven years, you exit. Here, what we did, and for comparison, in an ATM deal, which has been very popular for us and for our investors, you get a 179 times your money in seven years. You also get 100% bonus depreciation. Let's just call it a 179 times your money in seven years. In the car wash fund, you get a 1.75 times your money, and we're calling it 4.75 years. We're projecting that you get your 1.75 in 4.75 years. So between your four and a half and five years, you get your 1.75. So what we're doing in the eyes of the IRS, that equipment in five years is worthless. So you're really just taking your basis down to zero. You exit when you get to your 1.75, you take the bonus depreciation, you never recapture it. And it's just, you know, that model has worked very well for us in the ATM side, and we're doing the same thing in the car wash side. Interesting. So the upside of this deal is that you don't have the depreciation recapture, right? Because it just, it goes down to nothing. I didn't realize that's kind of interesting. Hey, left fielders, this is Julian McClurkin. When I'm not on the court with the Harlem Globetrotters, I'm the chief storyteller for TribeVest. Now, you might be thinking, why would TribeVest hire a Globetrotter? <laughs> well, through my travels around the world, I've met so many amazing people and heard their incredible stories. And it's no different at TribeVest. My job is to share the stories of people investing together as a group, as a tribe. TribeVest allows groups to pool their capital, set up their LLCs and bank accounts, help with operating agreements, funding rounds, and so much more. Whether you're investing with other dads from your kid's preschool class or getting into real estate syndications with people around the country like LFI infielder Brian Pawnell, TribeVest helps them all make it happen. If you want to hear more about stories about TribeVest's customers, just check out TribeVest's YouTube channel. And if you're already ready to start investing as a group, head on over to TribeVest.com today. Hey, left fielders, it's Matt Pacheni, your backstage guide to passive investing. 
I love sharing what I've learned about passive investing, which frees you up to do the things you really care about every day. If you'd like to improve life for yourself, your family, and leave your corner of the world a little better than you found it through win-win investment opportunities, then let's connect. I can help you transform your life and bring your priorities out from behind the curtains. Set up a meeting with me at Pacheni.com. That's P-I-C-H-E-N-Y.com. The other upside is when we're seeing the institutional appetite here, what happens is investors get the first 1.75x. So there is no split. Like there's no split on the fund side, the GP. Like we don't get any of the revenue until the investors get paid out 1.75. So what that means when we're looking at the institutional appetite for this asset class and we're thinking, okay, if we get bought out in year three or year four at a 10, 15, 20x multiple, I mean, read the Wall Street Journal and you'll see, and it's true. They said it in there last weekend, you know, these portfolios are selling for an 18 to 20x multiples. And so we're thinking if we get bought out in year three or year four, you're, you as an investor, your IRR goes through the roof because you still get the first 1.75x. Our agreement with the investors, you get paid before we get paid. You get the first 1.75x. If that goes to four and three quarter years, your IRR is like 22%. But if that happens in year three, three and a half, four years, your IRR goes through the roof because you still get paid first. Okay. Yeah. And like I said, it is a little bit of a different structure and you just got to kind of dig into the details to make sure you understand it. I want to pivot a little bit here just to because we're talking about ATMs and taxes and I've been talking to my accountant and I didn't realize this. So I just want to see what you think of what he says is that the tax benefit, the bonus depreciation and all the, the offsets. It offsets cash flow from passive activities, but he doesn't think it it offsets capital gains. So if you, let's say, if the only thing you have is a capital gain, you have no cash flow, say you buy a house and you just sell it and there's no cash flow, but rental house, that ATMs might not offset that, but they would offset if you had a rental and the cash flow from it. Is that how you understand it or are you hearing something different? So passive losses offset passive gain. So if you have an apartment building that you're a passive investor in and you sell that apartment building, you've got the passive gains, your appreciation from an ATM investment will wipe out the tax liability on your passive gains. So passive losses like depreciation from ATMs will offset passive gains. Now, if you have a, let's say you have a practice that you're involved in and you're 100% active and you're running that business, you sell that business that's an active gain. Then just remember, passive losses offset passive gains. Ordinary losses offset ordinary gains. So it depends. If you've got a franchise business, if you own a McDonald's and you sell that thing and you were passive in it, you had a manager and you were passive in it, you spent less than 500 hours there. Now you can take those passive gains and you can wipe out the tax liability on those gains with ATM investment or with car wash investment, with, with other passive activities. Interesting. So that makes sense. Yeah, it does. That's how I thought it worked. And again, I'm not trying to confuse myself or anybody else, but talking to a couple of, well, not a couple, one accountant, his thought was that ATMs are a little bit different and they operate differently and they don't fully offset. But again, I think I get different opinions based on who I talk to. But being that you are the one that's in this, deep in this, I assume that you're saying that any passive loss, so all the ATM loss can be offset on any passive gain that I have, whether it's the gain from cash flow or the gain from a sale of the asset, as long as I'm passive. 
That is correct. And we've run that. If you ask three different CPAs, same question, you'd probably get three different answers. But no, we've got opinions from some of the best tax firms. I mean, I work with one of the best tax firms in the country. And passive losses will offset passive gains and passive income. And it'll take out the depreciation recapture as well. Yes. Okay. That's good. I'll have to uh, reconsult with the accountant that I was talking to. I misspoke. It wasn't my accountant. In doing these podcasts and things, I interview a bunch of different people and one of them was not confident that that was how it went, but I think my accountant probably is. And so that's why every time I'm on one of these, I try to ask to get all the opinions. I make sure we're getting the right information. So I appreciate you explaining that. I'd like to also just get an update on self-storage because I know people say it's recession resistant. And I know we had a big exit at the end of last year with the fund. So I just wanted to check in and see how self-storage is doing now that changes in the economy, uncertain times and all of that. Can you kind of give us an update? One of the best performing asset classes coming out in 2008 to 2010. In fact, it was the best. There was only one better, and that was data centers. That the performance coming out of 2008 to 2011 was self-storage. One of the best performing commercial real estate asset classes on the planet. We saw that again in 2020, 2020 to 2022, one of the best performing asset classes, one of the best performing real estate asset classes in the country. And so we love it for that. We love it for its cash flow. We love it for its appreciation, just like Tommy's Car Wash. If you make that asset operate very well, if you increase the rent, you stabilize it, you increase that NOI, there's a lot of margin. And our business model is buying a mom and pop operated self-storage facility and we take it and we prepare it to exit to REIT. And REITs will pay a very good margin for stabilized self-storage assets. They love self-storage. So we're really the middleman between our job is to get it from a mom and pop operated store. And there's a lot of work to be done between mom and pop and institution. Many times we're going in there and adding square footage. We're adding climate controlled units. We're adding, you're taking a 50,000 square foot facility and adding 20 or 30,000 square feet to it. You got to make sure you're going into an area that's underserved in the self-storage space. And there's all kinds of stuff that you kind of watch out for it and know what you're doing. But we know what the REITs want. We've sold 40, probably 50 some of our last exits was to REIT. So we know what they want. And we just rolled up 26 of our properties back in November as a $450 million exit. Our investors netted on average between 30 and 31% on that deal. So we love self-storage. I do too. I was one of those investors. I appreciated that return. So I want to also touch on debt validation. Can you remind us a little bit what that is? And then I realized that on the current fund, there was a small setback. And I'm not bringing this up as a gotcha. I'm bringing this up as an example of things don't always play out to pro forma and they don't always go how you think. But as long as you're with an operator who is fighting on your behalf and trying to make sure that you fix the issues, that you're still in an okay spot. So can you kind of explain a little bit what debt validation is? And then I know you don't have a final resolution on the issue that came up, but just kind of give us a 40,000 foot view of what happened and how it's going to be resolved, hopefully. Sure. So oftentimes in this space, it's not in the investment world. It's not if something's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen. A little history and a little background on the debt validation space. I first started investing in debt validation with this team back in 
first started making contact with them in 19. I believe my first investment was either late 19 or early 2020. Invested my own money there first for a while. Eventually got to the point where I got comfortable with them and said, you know what, this is an asset class that I like. It's a kind of a short term. I'm not tying up my capital for a long time. I got introduced to this group through a very well-known and a very highly respected investor who many on this call would probably recognize the name. So I looked at the business model. I looked at the different relationships involved and history behind the team. And there was some trust built up there over time with myself and my accounts. Recently, there was kind of a shakeup in the company. There was a payment processor issue. There were some of our clients. And one of the success in this, one of the successes or failures in this business is how, if you want to be successful in this business, you have to keep your drop-off rate fairly low. And the success of the business has to do with how low you can keep the drop-off rate or how long you can keep your clients, how well you can service your clients to where they stay with the program. Well, there was a payment processor issue which affected thousands of our clients. And some of those clients got double and triple billed. There was a glitch in their system, which created a huge drop-off. And so we had to go back into the credit here drop off rate, high percentage drop off. We had to go back in and to the leadership and help them restructure the contract that we had and redo a contract, extend the contract. And some of our success in this business, hopefully, is will be based on organic growth. We intend to help the company the best we can. We're looking for ways that we can step in, provide support and really help with that growth because they seem committed to contracts that we lost. They seem committed to step in and doing whatever they need to do to make it right. I can just tell you that we've been on the phone with, there are several different fund managers involved and we've collaborated together. We take notes together. We strategize together. We're on the phone every day for anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes, either with our legal team or either with the team at debt validation or, and sometimes multiple times a day for the last couple of weeks. So we spent a lot of time on this. We're working on a contract. We're very close. We feel like we're very close to having a contract signed and hopefully we can get this thing pointed back in the right direction, but it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be in the time frame that we projected but hopefully we'll be able to get back on track and bring the whole thing back to safety and figure it out together. But it has been a heavy lift and it's uh, we're still working on it. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us because I liked what you said. It's not if, but when things go wrong. And one of the things that I look for, and we talked about in Left Field Investors, when we're talking to sponsors and operators, is we want someone who's going to acknowledge and let us know that something has happened, good, bad, indifferent, and then make changes or fixes if it needs to be done. And so the reason I wanted to bring that up is just to illustrate that. And that's why I like working with you, Dave, is because you were honest about it up front, shared it with us and frequent updates. Some of the earlier sponsors that I was dealing with, you never hear from them and you don't know if it's going good or bad. And you especially don't hear about it when it's not going to performa. So I appreciate your sharing that with us. Oh, man, if you want to talk war stories, we could make this a three hour podcast. I mean, I could tell you about partner in the self in the apartment building space who got staged for cancer and then his team who wasn't equipped to operate without him started taking off with money and I had to step in and take over the portfolio from my 50% partner. I mean, we could go on and on. And that's why I say it's not if I had to step in and take over that portfolio and bring that thing to safety. And that's not, I didn't set out to be the operator, but no, you're right. I mean, it's, 
I am committed and I'm not going to run. And if there's a way to bring this thing back full circle and get us all made whole with our returns, I'm going to do whatever I can to make that happen. That makes a huge difference, right? I mean, that's all we can ask for. I mean, if you're in the stock market right now, you've lost 30% with no chance of getting it back unless you sit there and wait and hope, right? And so that's why I like this industry, real estate. You don't lose money very often, but if something doesn't go to pro forma, you have a team working on your behalf to make you whole. And that's why it's so important to pick a sponsor. And that's kind of the last topic I want to address here is you're a different kind of sponsor than most, right? So you're finding teams of professionals and investing in them and then presenting those teams and those asset classes to passive investors like myself. So how does a passive person like me vet a sponsor like you where you're going out and finding the asset class, but I have to figure out, okay, how do I vet you and make sure that you're someone I want to put my money with? So personally, what I do, and I would highly recommend this strategy because it's worked well for me, but I don't so much care what you say about you. I would much rather, I put much more emphasis on what other people are saying about you. So if you get out and about in the community and you start asking around and you frequent your investor meetups or you get out and about, this community is fairly small. And if you start having those conversations and I don't want to talk to the smooth talking sales guy, I consider myself a pretty good sales guy and I could probably talk you into stuff. What I would rather have you do is go talk to my investors and see what they say about me. And that's what I do. Before I started on business with our self-storage operators, I kept hearing their name over and over. I kept hearing all kinds of good things. I kept asking questions from their investors. So I don't so much care about what the operator says about himself. I want to hear about what the investors are saying about that operator. So that's worked well for me. I would encourage you guys, your listeners, to do the same thing. That's well said because that is the one of the main purposes of our community of left field investors is to be able to share information with each other. And a big part of that is to share information about sponsors to make sure that we're investing with quality people and that when we have our preferred partner program, we're only putting quality people like you and some of the others on there in our community and protecting each other. That's what it's all about. So that's very well said. So the last question I ask, and this is not a test, but we'll see if you answer the same this time as you did last time, is what's a great podcast that you like to listen to? Left Field Investor. <laughs> well, that's perfect. That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got several. You mentioned Cashflow Ninja, MC Lobster podcast. The real estate guy has got a great podcast. And pick one that is specific. There's some great multifamily apartment. If you're a multifamily apartment guy, listen to as many of the multifamily apartment slanted podcasts you possibly can. I mean, you got you learn stuff. You'll pick stuff up. You'll hear stuff. And you're like, oh man, that was a new twist. That same thing that I've heard over and over again for the last whatever. But pick the asset class that you really want to invest in and then get familiar with that and listen to those podcasts. But the other thing is pick your tribe. Like there's some podcasts that I actually thought would benefit me and the content was good, but it didn't like the presenter, the podcast host, Get Rich Education is another one. He does a quality podcast. You have to connect with the host and the audience. And that's going to be different for me. That's going to be different for you. And that's going to be different for many of your listeners. But just find a quality host 
and find your tribe, somebody that you connect with and people that deliver quality content and about the subject matter that you're interested in. Yeah, that's great. Find your tribe. That's what it's all about, I think, in this type of investing. And it goes for the podcast. It goes for the sponsors. It goes for all of it. So, Dave, again, thank you very much. Podcast episode number one. And this one will be, I think, 81 or 82. So really pleased to have you back again. Thank you so much. We're grateful for your partnership with Leftfield Investors and all the support you've given us. And we're thankful that you're on the podcast again. We appreciate you. Thanks for having me back on. Maybe I can come back for episode like 160 or something. I cross my fingers we make it that far. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. All right. Thanks a bunch. Thanks. It's always great talking to Dave Zook. And I really appreciated him taking the chance of being our first guest and being willing to go on a brand new podcast and then to revisit with him 80 podcasts later. That was a thrill. So a lot of things he says are interesting. Obviously, he's into so many different things. The way he talks about asset classes, he isn't out hunting them. They find him. And that's because of his network, his community. He has so many connections out there and he keeps going to meetings. He keeps meeting new people. He's looking for new things. And that's how asset classes find him because he's putting himself out there. So I found that interesting. The Bitcoin teller machines, that's interesting. I have no idea why people would go to a a Bitcoin teller machine. But as Dave says, I don't really go to the ATM machine for a cash much anymore unless I absolutely need the cash. So I guess there are people out there. And I think the synergies of already having an ATM in place and then putting a Bitcoin one right next to it. That seems to make sense to me. And the car washes, those are big now. There's still that are, are several operators that are doing car wash syndications and private equity is certainly interested in car wash. The thing that was most interesting to me, and I only knew this because I'd listened to Dave on another podcast recently, MC Laubscher, Cashflow Ninja, but says the building and the equipment are subject to bonus depreciation. So that really accelerates your depreciation and, and makes that even a more powerful benefit. And then self-storage, you know, we know this, there's, I think someone said 70% of self-storage units are still owned by mom and pop. So when they're bought up, a lot of people are trying to get them going and cash flowing and all that and adding value. And what Zook does is he is targeting it specifically to make it attractive to a REIT. And that just makes the exit that much better. As I said in the podcast, I did have one exit with him and that was very nice. And then the debt validation, you know, there's been a lot of conversations in our community about debt validation and are they responding properly and all that. This is what I like about Dave. He was willing to have the conversation. He didn't hide from it. I did ask him ahead of time, is it okay if I have this conversation? He said, yeah, of course. And communication and transparency is the key. There are going to be deals that don't go the way we thought they would go. And there might be more and more of those coming up. But if you have an operator who is willing to communicate who is sending out emails saying, hey, we're working on it. We don't have a solution yet, but we're working on it. Man, that makes all the difference to me. Of course, I don't want to lose money. And of course, I want everything to work out exactly or better as planned. But life does not work that way. And the key is communicate, be transparent and be honest. And that's what Dave is doing on this deal. And that just makes me more apt to invest with him again, because I know that he is going to handle adversity in a way that works for the investors and he's going to continue working on our behalf. So again, I think uh, Dave Zook, he's a great preferred partner. A real ass investor is a great preferred partner of Left Field Investors. We're happy to speak with him again. And uh, of course, we will continue to watch and see what other deals he comes out with. But for now, that's all we have. We'll see you next time in the Left Field.
Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.